All right, joining us once again here at Country 104, a good friend, Wes Mack. You can find him at westmackmusic.com. You can also find Wes Mack Music on social media. Uh, he's got a new single out with Sons of Daughters, Never Have I Ever. He's also telling fans on social media that he's got a new record coming this summer. Uh, we'll get to all that and more. But first of all, how are you? I'm doing great because I'm here with you. Oh, it's always a pleasure catching up. People don't know. We're actually uh, becoming friends yeah. over this uh, course of our radio tenure. Course of our here. careers here. You know, yeah. we get to go out and have occasional beers and lots occasional? of Occasional? Yeah, no, whenever you're in town. It's high concentration. <laughs> it's, it's low frequency due to my traveling, but high concentration. Now, yeah. like most of my friends nowadays, I can only keep up with you so through social media. Right. So in that regard, you look like the most positive and influential person in the world like so new york uh los angeles you're always dressed to the nines buddy like you're you're doing good out there it looks <laughs> yeah, like it's that's the magic of social media you can just exclude the sweatpants yeah uh, but yeah man it's it's been like a busy run on this i was saying um i wanted to i knew i had this this film coming out i had cold pursuit coming out and i knew that like a long time ago we shot it two years ago and I you kinda, told me about this a yeah, while back yeah, yeah back and, when we were talking about power rangers totally yeah, yeah, totally yeah. and so i um at the time i was like all right cool i'm gonna put out a single at the same time i'll direct a music video put it out at the same time it'll be this triple whammy lots of stuff going on and then you get there and you're like oh no i have to live inside this schedule and it's crazy because you're you're traveling all over promoting it but um all in all, it's been really good because I actually really love that film. Like, uh, I, <laughs> to be honest, like I've been in a lot of acting projects over the years that like I had a ton of fun shooting. But sometimes you go and watch it, and you're like, "Yeah, I had fun shooting that," <laughs> but maybe it's not like the highest quality thing in the universe. And mm-hmm. that doesn't apply to everything. But like, this felt like something where like I had a wonderful time shooting it, and working with Liam was spectacular. And then actually getting to see the film was great and it was actually like the dark comedy i wanted it to be it was really funny they didn't i i was initially worried because you know a a big studio came on board halfway through i'm like oh i wonder if they're going to pivot towards like a cheaper just make it a pure action movie and i felt like that it could function like that but going towards the dark comedy to me is like really embraces the script and embraces the fact that like you cast liam neeson so everybody's already thinking this is taken four, yeah. but then you're going to go and flip it on its head because he's a snowplow driver who has no idea how to kill people, but likes reading crime novels and has had his son murdered and sort of is like blundering through this thing, you know, but every other character he's dealing with are like stone cold killers. And it's, it's, it kind of flips his whole like thing that people know about him from the last few years on its head and makes it very funny to watch. Well, since you brought up the film, uh, I want to give a shout out to your old tour partner, Shania Twain. You and Shania (laughs) were in theaters at the same time. Did you realize that? No. So she was in a new one with John Travolta trading paint. Wasn't like wide release or anything? I did not know that. you with Liam Neeson and then Shania Twain with with, uh, John Travolta (laughs) in theaters. Same time, shout out to you and uh, Liam. You crushed them at the box office. <laughs> like I literally spent three Take weeks that, tracking Twain. money made by John Travolta movie. Never done that in my life, <laughs> and uh, you crushed them, which is fantastic. Well, ever since uh, I toured with her, I've been setting out to you know I set out to <laughs> just, just crush her, her at some in some way. I wanted to defeat her, <laughs> and so. we're here to announce our Las Vegas residency. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. (laughs) I also want to shout out your films because the last two that I've seen you in this Cold Pursuit and uh, the Power Rangers, you're getting beat up a lot. You're getting a lot of injuries in these things, I I do. Uh, Describe back uh, behind the scenes with movies and and this makeup kind of thing and putting yourself in this place of this character. 
uh, that you're playing in the film. Cool pursuit. Yeah, so I play a guy named Dante, who indeed, you, you, there's not a frame of this movie where I don't look like I've just had my ass kicked. Like every every <laughs> and, photo I've seen there, from this film, like well, West is not looking like literally. He's in good we shape. we in the lead up to it, we call it, like my publicist called the film publicist, and we're like, hey, can we get any stills from it to like use for promotional stuff in advance of the film? And they came back and they're like, unfortunately, because you are so beat up in every scene, like we think it'll reveal too much, like too many plot points. So they're like, you'll have to wait till it comes out and just use like other set photos and stuff until then, like of either of other characters or of myself, like while shooting, but not in makeup. So, uh, I, and which I, which made sense to me because I'm like, I'm bleeding a lot in this movie. Um, <laughs> but no, it was, it was fun. We got to go back. Uh, I shot most of my stuff in Alberta. So I got to go see my folks back in Calgary there uh, cool. at the time. Um, we shot it up on Fortress Mountain, which is where they shot The Revenant with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. And so it was like, it was absurdly cold where we were filming. And um, yeah, it was, again, it was just a ton of fun to work on um, for a few reasons. And like, I actually think it was a really strong script, but like uh, Liam Neeson was just a joy to work with. You know, yeah. I, I met him on my birthday um, and I walked in the room and like, I don't, I'm not the type of person to get tremendously starstruck at any point in time, but you can't walk into that and not have some degree of at least preconceived notion because it's like you've watched all these movies he's been. You know, when I was a kid, I was watching him in a Star Wars movie, so yeah, that's that's kind of ringing in your head a little bit, and so you don't know what you're gonna get. And I walk into the room, and he goes, and he's got a very like soft Irish accent. He's very soft spoken. He goes, Leslie, I hear you from Calgary. You know, we're gonna be shooting out there, uh, uh, and he like sh- gets up and shakes my hand, and he's like six five or something he's a big guy yeah yeah. and it just kind of i was taken aback for a number of reasons it was first it was like oh you bothered to know in advance a little bit about me it doesn't take a lot of time but like you don't have to do that you're the a-lister on this if you wanted to be like hello human who is here to act with me like the old seinfeld like acknowledge your existence yeah entirely so and he was like that from point from start to finish and that like when we were shooting you know i've 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 worked with a lot of like maybe b-list actors in my opinion who Without calling out names, sometimes they really want to beat their chest and make sure you know how famous they are. And they're, maybe they speak down to the crew and the hierarchy of the film world sometimes really facilitates that. And they'll want to make sure that they've got their fancy cast chair and they'll want to, they'll just they'll do some things to enforce that status that grosses me right out. Whereas he was the opposite. He didn't have a Liam Neeson cast chair. I remember when we were shooting, he was sitting on just like this shitty bench beside like all the crew people between takes not requiring any special attention, not making any requests. He was there to work. And then I really respected, we filmed like while we were shooting, which he was like spectacular in, we shot all of his coverage. So that means like while the camera's like aimed at him, just for anyone listening, because I hate going into jargon when it, anyways. We're following. Cool. So we're filming Leon. We shoot all of his stuff out. And then it's, you know, it's, it's around to my coverage. And the director at the time, like Liam's been shooting a really long day and Hans, the director, taps him on the shoulder and says like, hey, like if you if you need to like go home, like go back to the hotel and get some sleep for tomorrow, you can do that and we'll like put in a stand-in for to, to get like some of Wes's stuff here at the end. And my heart kind of sank because I was like, oh, I, like I want to act off of him because he's giving so much. And Liam immediately was just like, no, 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 no. Like I'm here, I'm going to make sure like he gets everything he needs to like, you know, to shoot this because it's like a pretty intense scene. Um, and I... I just really appreciate it. It was like another one of the things where it's like some, I, I've acted again with some more B-listy actors who in rehearsals, they're on their phone and they're not really paying attention. And like, they'll turn it on for when the camera is on them and they'll give you nothing when the camera turns around and cause they're there for themselves. And I think there's ego in that. And I think it robs the film of like its potential. Um, 
So for me, getting to shoot with him and getting to work on this was like quite a pleasure. Yeah, from everything I've heard from you here and then in the past about Liam Neeson, I just think that he comes across as this stand-up guy, uh, super nice, hard worker. That's why the controversy was so frustrating. Yeah. I can imagine it was frustrating on your side. I don't know if you want to speak about yeah, it. Yeah, but... I mean, the thing with that for me is that, like, I, all I can say is that, like my onset experience with him was spectacular, and yeah. that like it must with, be frustrating. Yeah, well, with respect to that, I don't feel like I can responsibly or respectfully get into that and unpack like race relations in an interview even of this of no, the scope no, of this no, even no, on like a longer form and, and, and i'm not qualified yeah. to do it I, I, yeah. i'm not in a place where my opinion is the is the valid one to stump on i definitely like what i don't love is um just media th- spinning things uh sometimes irresponsibly the pile up on him was a little much and and i just thought and, and, and the thing is it's like People see it as Liam Neeson says something and then everybody piles on him. And it's like, well, yeah, but there's still Wes and Laura Dern and Emmy Rawson and then and all the cast and crew. Like, this is a big project that livelihoods are built on, right? It kind yeah. Of, that's why I meant it must yeah. be Yeah, and so for myself, it was just like a matter of, you know, I did what I did on that film and all, all I have to go on is my experience. And yeah. again, I just go back to like, I'm just, I'm not the guy to, uh, to add to the conversation yeah, in, in a yeah. meaningful way where I feel like I can respectfully jump into it yeah. yeah well then on the lighter side of things uh you were in a movie with qui-gon Jin and laura dern who was also recently in star wars too. just star so, like, wars all side, over pretty, pretty dude i my my dad <laughs> I, I don't know if i told you this, so i had a collection of uh pepsi cans from when i was like 11 that had all the characters from episode one on it yeah. and i i guess i kept them up at my cabin and totally forgot about them and my dad found them while i was shooting on this and he sent me a picture of the one with qui-gon on it and he's like do you want to get that signed <laughs> i was like yeah you know you want to know what's gonna put me on an uneven plane with Liam Neeson if I approach him with a Pepsi can from 1999 and be like can you sign this well you know what would have been worse is when you approached him with two because I still have mine oh we yeah legit which is even like we just became even more best friends right there yeah no I was a kid that's awesome that would have been 2001 right so I would have been like 17 18 my aunt and I had a tradition of seeing Star Wars movies and I remember owning that entire collection of Pepsi cans yeah last time I drank Pepsi by the way Really? Coke for life. No, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this interview has been brought to you by <laughs> the Coca-Cola Company. By Coke and whoever else uh, wants to provide Weaver with free clothing. That's who's brought to you uh, today. Uh, we Pepsi, talk Pepsi's going to send you some free stuff. <laughs> yeah, Pepsi, changing hearts and minds. Pepsi gear by the end of the week. <laughs> Love that stuff. I'll have to edit this interview. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk music since we talk so much about the movie. Uh, never have I ever. Uh, with Sons of Daughters, shout out to Jimmy, shout out to Crystal, who I find phenomenal people. I know you were excited to work with them yeah. and pretty happy about the situation. Yeah. yeah, again, like, so that's a song that I wrote with Jimmy, and I'll get into that, like, the process of it once again. Well, first first on Sons of Daughters, I'd known them forever, and when we got to a phase where we were almost done the song, I remember calling Jimmy up and being like, oh, yeah, I know I'm looking for, like, a female vocalist on this. I'm like, do you have any ideas? And he's like, all right, I'll think about it as well, kind of thing. And it didn't dawn on us initially because I was thinking, like, female vocal. And because they're a duo, they didn't, like, immediately spring to mind. And then I was in the shower, like, a day later, and I was like, Jimmy's already all over this record, kind of thing. Like, he sings Bee Gees and stuff on it. And I genuinely think Crystal's voice is one of the best in country music. She really reminds me of, like, an Lou Harris when she gets into her, like, it's enough like her vibrato kind of thing to, to me is just gorgeous so I, I just pick up the phone I'm like Jimmy something really didn't dawn on me I'm like what if you guys are the feature do you think Crystal would want to sing on this and he's like she loves this song already she's been listening to it for the last two years like while well, it was a demo mm-hmm. um, so it was easy how that came together and again like they're they're uh, artists that I've respected for a long time because they've been doing this for a long time like for 
you know, a lot of listeners, you know, they, they might be new to them, like they're getting exposed to them now with their with their single being out, but like they they've been playing and singing and writing and just like being artists uh, and like living down in Nashville for a number of years. And so for me, it was cool to be able to be like, oh, sweet, I want to like, A, work with my friends on this, work with people I think are really talented, also showcase them for how awesome they are. And then it's been like a pleasant, like not not even surprise for me because I've felt for years like they were just like just on the cusp of blowing up. But all of a sudden they've got a song that's like kicking butt on the radio kind of thing. And they're they're in the, the serious, uh, uh, I apologize on the branding, I don't have it perfectly, but it's a contest that they're in this year where there were some of the finalists in it. They just have like a bunch of stuff going on. And so it's cool to have this out at the same time as that and to watch them. Like I, I love getting to talk about them in interviews because they're like the, the nicest and like coolest without trying people around. I just love that you worked with them because of all the things you just described about, like everything they've got going on. Because you've got, Duets under your belt, Carly Thomas, right? Am I right on that? Uh, Carly McKillop. Carly McKillop. Oh, I screwed that up. No, Sorry. that's okay. Right? I didn't write it down. I was trying to come up with it off the that's top of my head. That's and all Shania good. Shania Twain, I mean, you've done duets with her at the yeah. shows and stuff. So Sons of Daughters was an interesting uh, pick because it, it was uh, on brand, I want to say, with where you want to go now. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of talk on that. And like me me and Jimmy wrote this song together like two years ago. And yeah. we, we like, after doing that, we finished a version of the song entirely um, like probably a year and a half ago that was very pop and very like bouncy and very synthesized and had like 808s in the, in the like rhythm section of it. And I, I just, I sat on it and I didn't want to put it out because like at my heart, it, somewhere in my heart, I was like, something doesn't quite feel right about this. And then I really took a like soul searching week. It would have been last August or maybe July. And I was like, I wrote down on a piece of paper, all the artists that I really look up to and love. And it was, I remember writing down Eric Church, and I wrote down the Brothers Osborne, I wrote down Chris Stapleton, I wrote down Fleetwood Mac, and I wrote down John Mayer, and I was like, okay, let's find, like, what's the common thread between all of these? I think I wrote Casey Musgraves on there as well, and it was like, oh, to me, all of these are, well, there's a huge variety there. It's a lot of stripped production, it's a lot of not over-pushing the hook, it's not forcing things down your throat it's more organic there's air there's depth there's vibe and i was like huh i mean dirk Bentley was on there too i mean imagine sort of retconning here but um i realized i was like okay i i have to like look at this honestly and admit like i think i'm kind of off the path of the of the stuff that i want to make and it was like i feel like the word humbling is used wrong a lot of the time people will like win an award and say i'm so humbled by this and it's like actually in that moment you're probably fairly inflated kind of thing i recently like, heard a discussion along this lines yeah, yeah you're right and humbled is used humbled is like you, you, you kind of have to get beaten down a little to be humbled and this was me being like hmm, i think i'm chasing a popular sound and it doesn't feel truthful to me and i was like all right so that feels kind of bad and I was like, okay, but this is a, here's the good part. It's easy enough to fix because I was like, here's a bunch of artists I love. So here's what I'm going to do. And I called a group of guys that I was working on, like my record with. I called them down to the studio and I didn't tell them why. And I was like, what I want to do is take everything we've done on Never Have I Ever and delete it. I just want to can it. I want it gone. And they all laughed initially. They're like, okay, what do you actually want to talk to us about? And I'm like, yeah. no, that's what I want to talk to you about. And I'm like, what I want to do is approach this differently and not, come at it from like okay guys we need the big radio hit right now let's serve it up it's like no 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 we have this love song that i wrote with with jimmy and my, and my other friend david boris and 
right now I feel like we've overrun it with production and like not allowed it to breathe at all. So we stripped everything off of it and we started just with like the drums, bass and guitar. And it was very, very simple. And that still actually dominates the majority of that song. Like it doesn't, I had a couple of rules that I sort of laid out for. I'm like, I don't ever want to get past like a 75% of how busy this can get. And I also had sort of a somewhat joking but somewhat serious rule. I was like, if you could hear the stuff that we record on like a 70s Fleetwood Mac record, it can stay. If not, we should lose it. Because I didn't want things that felt like they were just programmed by computers that were like very glossy synths and that kind of thing. I was like, I want this to feel like a bunch of humans playing a song. So mm-hmm. like when we tracked the drums for it, we tracked the drums the way that you would track drums, like in a sort of 70s way. We actually mic them from very far off in a room, a small room that was not a drum room. And we mic them with a bunch of like kind of inappropriate for the type microphones and we just messed around with it it was me and one of my best friends like not, I I guess produced the, that day on the on the session because the actual co-producer the other guy wasn't there and we got like a sound of them that was very brash and very in my opinion like quite different from everything that I was hearing like in sort of mainstreamy radio um, and just in general it was something that just to me suited the song and then I was like okay cool I'm going to pick up a bass guitar and I pl- tried a bunch of different versions of playing the part and it ended up being we turned the gain up super, super loud and made the bass really hot. And then I played it almost silently, just palm muting my way through it. And that was how we got the tone we wanted. And I remember looking at the tracks at the end and there was imperfections where the bass was a little out of time and the drums were a little out of time. And historically, we might have gone in and corrected all of that. And I was like, no, like, if you don't hear it as a problem, let's not fix it. Like, let's treat this like humans playing music. I think some of the best recorded music ever is is very uncorrected and that kind of stuff. So all of a sudden we had this song that started to feel like it breathed and had some air to it. And then we got in there and like redid the vocal and didn't push it so hard. And, you know, we ended up pulling this song together that like over the course of it is the most fun I've had in the recording studio since I was like a teenager because never were we thinking about like, how do we make a hit? So I think that's a scary place that you get into that like you start creating from a place of fear rather than creativity. You start being like, oh no, I need to be relevant. I need to grab on to whatever's popular right now and make it sound like that or no one's going to listen to it. And I I don't, it feels icky being there and it felt so refreshing to be away from that. And I don't ever want to like shit on anyone else for like doing whatever they're doing because everybody's at a different spot in their journey and if whatever you're doing feels honest to you, great. It didn't feel honest to me for what I was doing and that was my realization. And getting in the studio and changing that, I had fun again. I felt like it was very cleansing for my soul to just be like making stuff that made me happy and when I finished the song like when we sort of put the final touches on it it's the first time in ages I didn't feel like I needed to send it to 30 people to get their opinions of if it was good or not to get that validation I was like I don't know if this is good or not but I like it it makes me happy as a listener so now I can do whatever I'm going to do with it because I feel like if you lose if you stop being a fan as a musician, you get into a dangerous place as well where you're just trying to create a commercial product. Whereas mm-hmm. this is like, cool, this is a bunch of people that I'm fans of. I'm not going to try and imitate them, but I'm going to realize they all live over there. We're kind of going to shoot in that direction. We're going to be organic about this, and we're going to make something that makes me happy. And that's the end of it. You speak about the song so lovingly. Yeah. It feel, well, cause I, I can tell you feel good about it, man. You're in a philosophic kind yeah, of reflective place but, right now, but in a good place, you can tell. But it's like we wrote this we wrote this song two, two and a half years ago, and the reason I didn't want to toss it out or toss it away is like I felt something about it at the time that was really important to me. And so I was willing to ride this very long curve with it uh, of totally producing it twice. Like it's a big task. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm glad I did because it kind of pulled me through on the other side where now like I'm going back after this uh, radio run here and I'm going to go right back into the studio and finish my record. It's going to come out in June. It's called Soul. And that's, yeah. I, I've, I haven't really said that before. So no. there it is. Um, and I'm going to get back in there. And I'm going to work the same way on it. I'm not going to try and copy and paste the production from this, but we're going to start and be like, cool, let's make music that is fun. Let's play stuff. Let's leave the airs and like this. This track has some weird stuff. And if you listen in the auxiliary percussion, there's a ton of shakers that I played that are out of time. There's me playing on a Kleenex box. There's me hitting drumsticks on walls. And we what did, are you Led Zeppelin? All dude, of a well, it was yeah. fun. It was, you just you, you the allow your machine in there too. You, you allow yourself to start making stuff from a place of like just be a kid in a candy shop and have fun with it. As soon as you take the pressure off yourself to like make hits. You might make a hit, I yeah. think. I think because all this, all the records that I love and look up to, it, it feels to me like they're just they're making weird music, man. Well, I think you're making great music right now. You speak about it so lovingly. And quick note, just to like, I don't know, I don't know, if validates the right word, but on the songwriters you had described, Casey and Dirks and Eric Church and the people you had looked up to and the music you thought you wanted to be making, they are all singer songwriters like yourself, and they don't necessarily let other people tell them. Mm-hmm. what the vision should be, right? They're they're doing what they got to do. I, I admire them because yeah. I feel like all of them have done stuff. Like I remember when Dirks put out the Bluegrass record um, in like 2010 or something, some, somewhere around there. I remember hearing from someone in the industry that like his whole label like was like, this is commercial suicide, like this has no singles on it kind of thing. But they Dirks was a big enough name at the time that they let him do it kind of thing. And Dirks is like, I don't care. I'm going to go make this Bluegrass record. And to me, it's like my favorite record he's ever done. And... I find fans of his all the time who, if you really like get the deep Dirks fans, they always, the conversation somehow lands on that bluegrass record, which had maybe one radio single and it was like barely a radio single, but it's like, it's this stuff where clearly he had a passion for this and was just like, I want to go and make my record. And like Eric Church is another guy who like, once he put out that chief record, he could have just done that and copied and pasted it 10 times in a row. And I'm sure it would have been a hit every single time, but he doesn't do that. You get songs like Desperate Man all of a sudden come out, and you're like, you just keep reinventing yourself. Every time everybody thinks you're going to zig, you zag. And I think that's just rad. Yeah. I love your passion for music right now. Like, you've always had the passion for music. Yeah, but I... And artistry in general. I mean, acting and and your music production skills and your and your music directing. By the way, we didn't even talk about the video yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's We've been sitting here for like 25 minutes oh, shooting, dude. shooting our lips off. When are you get to the video yet? Yeah. Dude, you're in a good place right now, and I love the album title because I think it fits... Yeah. Like just getting your vibe right now, and then you call the album Soul, and I'm like, yeah, I it's get like that. like I'm getting my soul back. Yeah, on I get this. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know where to go from that. <laughs> Dude. I don't it's know. not often you catch me uh, tongue-tied right here. <laughs> I'm sitting here just listening to West going, look at this guy. He's, it's like he left me for two years, and you've come back like... Uh, uh, like a wanderer, like what was that old show, Islander or something <laughs> I, I, like that? <laughs> dude, it's funny though because the last time I talked to you, I don't think I was in the right same place. I was chasing stuff around, and I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it. Yeah. I just think, and to what touch on something chasing? we said, you have a, a I, side of yourself that you were trying to show off entirely. Yeah, okay, yeah. so and I don't want to knock previous stuff because I firmly believe that, like uh, David Bowie's got a quote where he talks about this record he put out in the seventies that he just he doesn't he despises it kind of thing because. It was him feeling like he was chasing stuff. However, there's a bunch of songs on that record that I still really like. Yeah. Uh, so I think I can acknowledge that maybe I needed to like evolve and continue to evolve. That doesn't mean I dislike any of the stuff I did. It's just like when you feel an impulse to change, I think you got to act on it, or I think you get to a place in life where that's how you turn into like a bitter old man kind of thing, where it's like if you have a lifetime behind you of impulses that you didn't follow, that's what puts you in a dark place. So it's like. I don't think you have to like ever hate your past or anything. Just like learn from it and move on and keep moving on and do 
neat stuff. Well, I'll tell you what, you can hate your past, but the fans won't care. What are they, <laughs> the Oasis boys? They they hate Wonderwall. Yeah, screw that. If I pay a t- pay Entirely. my money to get an Oasis ticket, you better darn oh, well be playing I, Wonderwall. I, I firmly, I, mean? I said this before too, <laughs> but I firmly believe when you write something and put it out in the world, it's not your song anymore. Yeah, it no. it belongs You've said to, that to me before. Belongs yeah. to the fans. Uh, belongs to anyone listening to it, and you get your ego the heck out of the way. And yeah. it's like if they want to hear that song, you give them that song. Yeah. All right. Well, I could, you know, me. I could talk about uh, music with you forever, and I could talk about movies and backstage with you forever too. But we're <laughs> out of time, uh, so let's just get a couple quick things together here. Uh, Never have I ever featuring Sons of Daughters, Wes Mac. Uh, that is available now, and the new record Soul. Is there a timeline? All I've heard is summer. At this It'll be point. June. It'll be June. June. So I, I, I you're this dropping is more, on fire on me. Here more today. details than I Wait ever till I tweet this out later, and the records, are like, your record reps, like, no, no! <laughs> there was a press release and everything ready for that. No. <laughs> it's called pool party and it comes out in november <laughs> too bad always a pleasure catching up with you my friend uh west mac westmacmusic.com also on social media as west mac music uh see him in cold pursuit with liam neeson still in theaters right now up against shania twain and kicking her ass <laughs> by the way uh my good friend west mac thanks for being here man my absolute pleasure